Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I'm your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and a transformational coach for entrepreneurs, businesses, leaders, and for those who want to break the cycle of convention and redefine success one step at a time. I am on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week we have thought leaders, change instigators and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life and your business. This week, I am super stoked about our guest. We have Dr. Martha Beck. Dr. Martha Beck is a Harvard-trained sociologist, world-renowned coach, and New York Times best-selling author. She has published nine nonfiction books, one novel, and more than 200 magazine articles. Martha has also been a columnist for O, the Oprah magazine, since its inception in 2001. Today, she is noted as one of the best known life coaches in America. Martha spends part of each year in South Africa leading seminars where she donates the proceeds to ecosystem restoration and education for rural Africans. As president of her own company, Martha Beck Inc., she continues to speak around the world as well as offers virtual teleclasses and also trains life coaches worldwide through her Wayfinder Life Coach Training Program. When not covering herself in birdseed and sitting outside in nature, she is writing her new book called Male Strom, which is the follow-up of Diana herself and the second installment of the Bewilderment Chronicles series. It's now time to tune into this one very gifted, inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, today I am super, super excited. I am in awe with the guests that we have today. We have Martha Beck. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, it's an honor. Honestly, I've been so excited. I couldn't wait to, well, it's six o'clock Saturday morning. So for me, oh, my oh I know, but I was so excited. It, it, it doesn't bother me at all getting up that early, but it, just knowing that you were going to be on the show was Aww. like, I jumped out of bed this morning. Oh, that's so kind. No. And how so, fun that we can connect across like thousands of miles. It's amazing. I, <laughs> I know. We're, you're based in Arizona, is that right? No, I'm in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know where I saw Arizona. I lived there for a long time and then I moved to California and now I'm in Pennsylvania, so... Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. So, Martha, the way that we like to start the show is we always love to ask our woman of inspiration her unique story. So, Martha, tell mm-hmm. us, what inspired you to do what you do today? <laughs> you know, I just think it was that I was so miserable and wretched. <laughs> and I was just always trying to figure out how to be happy. And, you know, I tried succeeding in 
school and I succeeded in school and I ended up going to Harvard for three different degrees there and still wasn't happy. And then I had a child born uh, with Down syndrome that made me really reconsider what what am I actually doing here? What is a human life actually um, really about? I, I He was diagnosed very late in my pregnancy and I had maybe a week where I could have legally obtained an abortion, but I was already very bonded to him, though I'm pro-choice. And it, it, so I was left with the question, not do I want a baby, but what kind of baby is worth having, which sort of led me to the question, what kind of life is worth living, which led me to the question, why am I not living that life? <laughs> and and everything else just sort of naturally grew out of that. I was a professor, but my students started asking me to just counsel them in a way that became life coaching. And then um, I was encouraged by an editor to write a book about the methodology I'd created and boom, we're off to the races. Mm. So talk us to, oh God, tongue twisted then. Talk us through your methodology. I had a methodology based on my training in social sciences and my experiences as a mother and a mother of a child with special needs and someone trying to juggle career and family and a whole bunch of other things. And I was working individually with clients, but the demand got so great that I finally started training people to do the kinds of coaching I was doing. And and that's mainly what I've been about for the last 20 years is training coaches. And the methodology is really simple. It's based on the idea that we're all born with a destiny that that is as unique to us as our fingerprints. And that um, the only way to know what your specific life should be is to go within yourself and get rid of anything that is blocking your innate knowledge of your own destiny. So it's not a process of learning or adding anything. It's a process of dropping things that are in the way of your experiencing your, what I call your North Star, the the life you were meant to live. And once you do that and bring your behavior into line with um, with your discovery of your purpose, then life becomes very, very exciting and peaceful and adventurous all at once. Oh, I like that. That is very different to how it's been explained in the past. It's always like searching for your purpose. And I've heard that we've all have a destiny or a purpose in life, but to actually seek within, but get the things out of the way is something a little bit different. And you've got a, a a piece that I I actually saw on your website, five paths to your purpose. Mm -hmm. So obviously this links into, to what you're talking about. Are there five ways that we can achieve that? Oh, that's, that was just something that I thought would be fun to offer people online. Um, because I want to, I want to give people content that I want people to be able to do this stuff for themselves without going through trainings or, or whatever. So that was just something that my team and I put online. There are infinite paths to your purpose. I, I just chose five that I thought were pretty easy. <laughs> but uh, there are infinite paths and there is only one path. And the real path is just within yourself. So you end up with some practice for turning your attention and your gaze, but really all your senses and no senses, your ability to experience, you turn it inward and you begin sort of listening for this very pure um, message, a pure tone. Language sort of breaks down because it's not really describable, but anything you do that turns your attention inward and 
allows distractions and erroneous beliefs to fall away, will leave you with your purpose squarely in front of you. And the path to it will be obvious. Mm. So when you're saying it's not so much a voice, it's more of a knowing. Is that is that what you're saying? Sometimes it's a knowing. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes people do actually hear words in their heads. But um, generally, it's a it's a very intense sensation, as though you're being pulled by a strong magnet, and it affects all four um, divisions of the self: body, heart, mind, and soul. So when I work with clients, actually, we really usually start with body. Because that's the part of the self that our culture, Western culture, even though you guys are in the Eastern Hemisphere, but um, sort of those Western European-based cultures are all focused on the mind. And the mind is actually more detached from your real purpose than any other part of you. Your body is very intimately attached to it and will always show you the way to your own truth. So a lot of our um, methodologies are about helping people just get a little space from the mind and start to hear the voices of the the body, the heart, and the spirit. Um, so, yeah, there are lots of methods for that, and a lot of them are new, and a lot of them are ancient, and they're just being studied by neuroscientists, and they're very robust scientifically. So it's a really exciting time to be doing this kind of work. I know it is, isn't it? I think it's, I was just saying the other day, it is an exciting time because now we have spirit and spirituality, science, all kind of bleeding into one because we do have the quantum physics that backs up. Uh, it's not so woo-woo anymore. No, it's not woo-woo at all. It's been very, very solidly and theoretically and experimentally proven since 1927 that what what the world really is doesn't necessarily correspond to our intuitive understanding. It's definitely been proven over and over and over that what we experience as matter is actually wave energy. Um, when we observe it, it starts to act and look like particles. And some scientists take this to mean that the observation of energy by consciousness is the factor that creates matter. That's one interpretation. Another interpretation is just that everything is waves of energy in reality. And the way we know it is through an illusion that we call the material universe. And and I, I just barely read a, a book on the most um, current models of quantum mechanics, and it's completely not woo-woo at all. That those are the those are the results of the experiments. Mm. Period. So yeah, no, and I don't. I think it's more like the quant because of the quantum physics backs up all the spiritual stuff, which once upon a time was looked as a, um, a little bit woo woo. Sometimes I think people can go too far with it. I mean, it's not not true that because uh, everything is wave energy, you can just make a vision board and and like nab your best friend's husband or whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes I think we take it a little far, and that's the reason I really emphasize looking inward. And the reason I'm writing about integrity is that it's not idle wish fulfillment. What we would call magic and miracles, I have seen them happen countless times, but they happen when I am, they happen to me when I'm pursuing integrity, not when I'm doing magical thinking. So it's ironic. I, if I think things are magical and I try to make them happen, they don't. But if I just pay attention to being as truthful as I can and living as honestly as I can and as in keeping with my own heart as I possibly can, 
incredible, miraculous, magical things happen to me on a ridiculously frequent basis. I'm curious, Martha, when you're talking about magical and uh, and miracles taking place, would you like to share maybe one uh, with us? Sure. Um, I love animals. I'm obsessed with ecology. I've been watching the, the bushfires in Australia with horror and, and um, lots of, you know, what we're all feeling and sending money, trying to help. But it's it's been my whole life has been I've been obsessed with ecology. So I ended up in my um, late 30s, I ended up connecting with some people in Africa who healed an ecosystem. It was a bankrupt cattle farm, something like six million acres. And they, these two young men inherited the land and they hired a geologist who helped them redirect the course of the rivers, which brought the grasslands back, which brought the grazing animals back, which brought the predators back. And now they, they literally healed an area of the wilderness bigger than Switzerland, just this one family. So I became obsessed with that. And they, the game reserve where they work is called Londolozi, which means protector of all living things. And whenever I go there, I go there, I, we do seminars with people and read Ridiculously magical things often happen with the animals there. I've had so many animal encounters. Um, anyway, I was going to write about this the other day. I've written a lot about Londolozi. My last book talked a lot about it. But I was just finishing the book I'm writing now, and I was thinking I'm going to write about Londolozi and the magical things and animals that have connected with me there. And then for some reason, I thought, no, I'm not going to keep writing. I'm going to go online and go look for an author whose work I haven't read for years, a humor columnist named Dave Barry. Just see if he's written anything recently. Well, it turned out he had just published a book and he hasn't written a book for years. I haven't read his work for years. I downloaded the book on my Kindle. I read chapters one, two, and three. Chapter three is about how Dave Barry went to Londolozi and had an interaction with an elephant named Night Shift because he would come into the camp at night. I know night shift. <laughs> oh. Why would I stop writing just as I'm about to mention Londolozi and go find a writer I haven't read for years who has just published a book? I had no idea he'd ever been to Africa. I went straight to that chapter. What is that about? Mm. How does that even happen? I don't even know. And, and that, I mean, for another example, you know, I was on the high plains of Wyoming once and I thought, well, I haven't seen, uh, I want to see a wild animal and I've never seen a pronghorn antelope, which is the only antelope in North America, fastest land, uh, fastest mammal in North America. And I, I was in my car alone and I, I felt like in my head, I heard, we will bring them right to you. I was like, okay. So then I drove drove for like four hours. I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere. And I was on this high treeless plane. And I saw off on the horizon, this smudge of white. And I stopped my car and just stared at it. And it turned out to be a large herd of pronghorn antelopes running at 60 miles per hour. And they ran straight to my car and stopped and just stood around my car. These completely wild animals running to the only human, these people, these animals had been hunted, you know, they weren't tame. <laughs> and uh, stuff like that happens. I, I tell people things and I know they think I'm embroidering it or making it. I am not. These things actually happen to me often. 
yourself. Mm, Martha, and I believe that, uh, for, look, I've got goosebumps, by the way, but I believe that we are all one. We are all connected. And just the, the fact that you thought about it and it's mm-hmm. something that you wanted to experience uh, because I, I guess of all the work that you've done, because I'm listening to what you were saying before about removing the blocks. Yeah. You're obviously really tapped into um, the, the energy that's around, the universal energy that is mm. within. And so therefore it manifests really quickly for you. Yeah, I think I think we all have that. And, and I think what I've spent my whole life doing is getting rid of what's in the way, not developing anything, but getting rid of what's in the way. For some reason, which remains obscure to me, I decided um, as a, a freshman started college to major in Chinese. I had no experience of Chinese, had never had Chinese food, didn't know Chinese people. It was ridiculous. There was no reason. Um, but what happened was from a very early age, I became, I was sort of surrounded by Asian culture. And I know over in Australia, there, there's a lot more influence from Asian philosophy as well. But it, it's fundamentally different from most Western philosophical traditions in that we, uh, in the West, see ourselves as being incomplete and needing to add more to tap in to get powers to, you know, create success or whatever it is from the sublime to the ridiculous. Where in Asia, it's like, how much can you get rid of in the Tao Te Ching, my favorite book, which is many thousands of years old. Um, Lao Tzu says in the pursuit of knowledge, every day something is added in the practice of the way every day, something is dropped less and less. Do you need to force things until you arrive at non-action when nothing is done, nothing remains undone. And I ran into that when I was 17 years old, and it just sounded a bell inside me. And I've spent my whole adult life just every day trying to drop anything that isn't the practice of the way. So, Martha, I absolutely love that. I'm just curious, though, for and for, for our listeners and for myself, when you're talking about drop whatever is in the way, what would be some of those examples that you come across? Obviously, you do a lot of coaching. What would be yeah. some of those things that are in the way? Um, there, there's, there's only one thing, lies. And I don't mean deliberate lies that we tell people to get away with bank robbery or whatever. I mean that the only thing that detaches us from nature itself, which is incredibly raw and immediate and alive and continuously transforming, is just, if you, if you can stop thinking and be present in nature, it's just a cons- continuous miracle. Um, but we have these human minds, and these minds, as you know, get us preoccupied with things that we've experienced in the past and things we fear or desire in the future. And so we leave the present moment We live in a web of thought that we think is reality, but actually it's not reality. Reality is nothing you could express in language. Reality has nothing to do with what happened five seconds ago or what will happen five seconds from now. It is now and now and now and now. And anything that is not now that is based in past or future or rides that stream of thought is separating you from reality. And so I call it a lie to be 
provocative, but really it's just a thought that divides you from the actual truth of your experience in this moment. That's it. That's the only thing. Mm, so it's the mind that keeps us detached from our true self. Yeah. Mm, that's 100%. really interesting because yeah, because a lot of the work that I, I guess and a lot of the guests that we've had on the show, we talk about mindset. It's how to shift the mindset, but you're talking about forget about the mind. Tap into yes. the body. In, in Zen, they talk about a, a condition called don't know mind, which is where the mind is alert, uh, sort of like a cat watching a mouse hole, but is completely responsive to the other aspects of knowing. So uh, one Asian proverb is that the mind is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And I've had this really rare opportunity to live for 30 years with my um, son, who's capacity for intellectual thought is very, very different from most human beings. And he, he really lives in a mind that is open without fixation of any kind. And he's astonishing. He's like, he's like this little wizard disguised as a man with Down syndrome. And um, so much of what I've experienced and what I've done in my life has come from being able to watch this sort of Zen master at work around me all the time. So I, I'm just extraordinarily privileged. That's beautiful because I, I think that there's also, there's been that whole mind-body connection that the body actually holds, it's part of that subconscious mind actually yeah. is in our body. Yeah. So if we tap into our body, we are then able to uh, tap into the subconscious part of our mind and therefore understand what are those old, old programs, the fears, uh, the habits, whatever that may be. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah. Oh yeah. I always start with myself and with any client, um, to start figuring out, you know, what to do today, what to do with your life, anything, um, start with the body, go inside, notice any kind of discomfort, notice any kind of sensation and then allow yourself to experience the, the underpinning, the meaning that you're making out of that sensation. So there may be a pain um, in your heart. And then when you really allow yourself to see what's behind it, um, you see that it's your heart is physically aching, but you're also grieving. You're, you're emotionally sad. So then you, then you realize that the reason you're sad may, is always something you think is either going wrong or something right that you can't have or the falling away of something. So grieving is about loss. But if you look at loss, it only happens in the stream of mind. Like um, if you lose a loved one, you grieve intensely. But if, some, if that same loved one is just in the other room, you don't grieve at all because there's no thought in your mind that that person is gone and lost. So the condition that makes you grieve is not the person's presence or absence. It's the, it's the meaning you're making out of their absence. And as you become more and more present, here's the interesting thing, you know, you become incredibly pragmatic about, okay, the person's not here, but I wouldn't miss them if they were in the bathroom. So why do I miss them after they're dead? I know that sounds really extreme, but if you sit with it long enough, it kind of goes there. And then then you may very well experience the presence of the person you're missing. And that's a spiritual element. So the body, the heart, and the spirit are now in play. And the mind says, no, that's not possible. 
I think it is possible. I think it's more real than our Western idea that consciousness dies at the death of the body. And if you go far enough into the truth, you end up in this place that is both extremely rigorously honest and incredibly miraculous. Mm, and it, I, I mean, I could see how that, for, for me, it is all about the heart. I mean, when somebody passes over, it's not, it is, it absolutely is the meaning you give it to how you respond and react to a any situation, but sure. they never leave your heart. No, and, and, and in fact, if the universe is all just one huge um, concatenation of waves, all ruled by the same wave function, and we don't know what consciousness is, but we know consciousness exists because we're using it, then uh, it's, it's not just that they're existing as a memory in the heart. It's that they may still be physically like present in the wave energy that is your experience. But you don't know that if you're caught in the stream of time or the illusion of matter. You know that when those things fall away. And when you get after a few thousand hours of meditation, those things do fall away. I've many, many times had the experience in meditation of everything just dissolving into a vast, mm. uh, incredibly alive nothingness. Yep. And it's, it's beyond beautiful, beyond blissful it's, it's wow and there are no words for it but it's much more real than this sort of wretched little existence <laughs> ruled by entropy and death um to me it's more real i may change my mind i don't know no i'm right there with you martha i'm the same i i um absolutely and it's re it is really hard to put into words my husband and i were talking about it. we get up at 4.15 every day and we meditate for about 45 minutes and I've been doing that for a long, long time and for mm. me, meditation, it is about tapping into that nothingness and it's yeah. and it's it's when everything drops away, even the sense of your body, absolutely everything, it is yeah. bliss. It's it's like mm. this mm. euphoria that, oh, it's, it's really hard to put it, but the euphoric feeling that you feel, yeah. it's beyond words beyond yeah. explanation so it's i got gives bumps when you're talking home. about it yeah it is it's yeah it's home it's what we really are that's right and when you say to most people from western culture it's nothingness and it's what you are the ego takes that as a as a threat to its very existence which it is <laughs> mm. and but once you've experienced it it's like oh i want me some more of that mm. and and, and Ego is one of those things we we love to talk about on this show, mm. and it's and it's really interesting because even for me, I actually uh, and it wasn't that long ago where we were talking about how uh, when we point at things, for example, there's three th fingers pointing back at you, and and this is a, a mm. I always look at this. This is a bit of a, a an example that your shadow is shadow ish. Uh, coming up you know so if you're pointing out oh i would never do that oh this person is very egotistic mm, it's then mm. where in your life Catherine, are you being egotistic and yeah i could never connect with it but it just dawned on me that i was able to connect with it and when i did and it was able to integrate that was like oh wow you know i had this belief that if i um that these people or this environment needed me 
But mm. they were actually, that was feeding mm. my ego. So when we talk about ego, how do you work with ego? Um, there, there's the direct way, like my son does, where you simply drop away from identity with, with anything specific. But that did not become possible for me for many, many years. Uh, I really love the work of the spiritual, uh, spiritual teacher named Byron Katie. Have you heard of her? No. She's um, an American woman who was desperately depressed for about 40 years. When she was 43, she had kind of a, an enlightenment experience in a halfway house where she'd been committed. And she simply woke up one morning unable to believe her own thoughts. She still had thoughts, but she couldn't believe them anymore. And from that day to this, and this has been some 30 years, she, she says she's never been unhappy ever. And I believe her. I've been around her a lot. And what she does is every time a thought comes up that causes any suffering or is associated with any kind of discomfort in the body and the emotions or whatever, she uses her mind to question it until it logically falls apart. And if it causes suffering, it always will. So, for example, she likes to say, if you're judging another person, she says, I am whatever I think you are in this moment. So if I'm looking, for example, at the American presidency, uh, which is not, which is very hotly contested over here, and which is not exactly thrilling me at this moment, not to get too political, but if I say, oh my God, what a narcissistic monster, he's ruining the world, in that moment, I have become the attacker, I have become narcissistic because I think I know better. I think I know what will ruin the world and what won't. I think I know the grand design of things. I've become him. Mm. So every single time you cast judgment, you're lying. You can make judgments and say, I'd prefer this and I don't prefer that. But if you pass judgment and say, you're bad because of this, or that is always wrong because of this, invariably you're caught in an error, not on purpose, but I promise you, it won't end up being true. You will end up becoming the thing you judge. And when you realize that you have become that thing, your own reasoning takes you apart. What do I wish the American president would do? Um, be more gracious, empathic, sensitive to the environment, sensitive to the needs of the people. Okay, become that then. And I've now, and then once again, in the universe that I'm, that comes from my perceptions, there is peace because I've stopped being what I criticized and I've become what I was telling myself to be all along. Mm. It's, we had the same conversation, same uh, in Australia, obviously with all the fires and you, you can it's, imagine yeah. what's been going oh. on. Um, oh. But it's, <clears throat> and I got this from watching Missing Links with Greg Braden. Uh, mm -hmm. when he actually talked about become, and he was sharing a story about, you know, there was a lot of uh, drought in a certain area. I think it was in New Mexico somewhere. And he was actually explaining how he watched these Native American uh, Indians do this ritual where they weren't praying for rain. They became the rain. Yeah. And then rain came. So this is what yeah. I've been saying now. Every time people are like, we're praying for rain, praying for rain, because obviously the smoke has been really, really bad. Oh, my gosh. It's and just awful. I said, let's become the rain. Let's visualize yeah. and become the rain coming over in the right areas of Australia. Um, and 
Yeah, and it, it is. It's and then all of a sudden, I'm not joking. Like two days later, it was pouring down. Like we haven't had yeah. rain like that for such a long time. Wow, you know, I was in a, a severe drought in California when I moved out there into the wilderness, and um, it was really painful for me because I could see the wilderness dying of the worst drought in California history. And um, we have uh, one of my family members that I've come, we have this sort of patched together family of, of strays and orphans. And right. One of the people we had with us right then was, uh, Rowan Mangan from Melbourne. Who's now part of my family, but she was saying that one, a friend of hers had helped make a video about one of the Aboriginal tribes in Australia, the rainmakers. Mm. And, and we, this had been, it hadn't rained for two years. And, um, she said, I'm going to find a way. So she got in touch with a friend in Australia who managed to get us a copy of this movie, Patapuri and the Rainmakers. And we watched it. Everybody should watch it. I won't go on and on because it's it's really great. But it's about this. Tri- and you watch them create rain. It's, I mean, it's hard to explain it any other way. We watched this film. And that night, there was a crack of lightning and thunder. And a, a very brief soaking shower fell directly on our house but nowhere else. And then we woke up the next morning and looked at the weather and it had completely changed. And it just said, rain, 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 rain. And it rained for months. And it's, it went, there was no rain forecast. We watched that movie, this weird little rain fell. And then just the whole area got saturated again and, and the drought turned around. It's amazing. Mm. So what was the name of that movie? Please. I don't know. I, I'm not pronouncing the name right, but it's Patapuri. It's a, a gentleman named Patapuri from one of the Aboriginal tribes and the Rainmakers. It's a documentary. Oh, I'm going to uh, look it up and uh, and share that on social media. I think that I love that story, and I think for uh, what we're currently going through, I hope that reaches as, oh as many gosh. of us and all put it on at the same time. Can I tell you one more little story? Yeah, about I that? love stories. Go for it. Be- before uh, Rowan came and gave us that movie, I was really losing it because I had bought this ranch in the middle in the mountains in California, and I was in love with the land, and it was dying. And um, when I first moved there, a little local TV station came and interviewed me about why I was there or whatever. I didn't think much about that. I've, I do a lot of interviews. So a couple of months later, when the drought was so bad, I just I, I woke up one day and I was uncharacteristically just beside myself with anxiety. I said, I cannot cope with this anymore. I just need information. I don't even know why it won't rain. So that day I was, somebody was watching a football game and it, it went off and I said, could I just watch the news? And I had not watched television for months. I don't like TV. So they said, well, you need to, to go to the best channel. So they switched the channel and there on the TV was my face. And here was this little story that they recorded weeks and weeks and weeks before. And I was like, oh, that's really strange. Let's watch my interview. So they did an interview with me. They Then they bumped to the weather. This was the local news. And the weatherman, the, the anchor person said, you know, Martha was worried. She says watching the land is like dying of thirst. And she, she it's, it's really making her miserable. And the weatherman looked out of the TV and said, well, I probably shouldn't be giving advice to a life coach, but Martha, you should stop worrying about the drought. <laughs> uh-huh. 
My television told me that. That was obviously a sign that you met. Yeah. I'd never watched the weather. I'd never seen that man before. You know, it was just one of those little, those little odd things from the universe that says we are in some sort of organized video game here. It's not all as chancy as it looks. So, I mean, that was a sign, isn't it? I think that when we worry, does worry is, I always say, I I remember somebody said to me, worry is like praying for something that you don't want. Yeah. And uh, Roy Rogers once said, I know worrying works because nothing I worry about ever happens. Um, All worry does is take us out of the present moment, locate us in a future event, which will probably never happen and ruin our lives. So before the rain came, I guess it wasn't time for the rain to come yet. But before the rain came, when I was really desperate, I was given a very, very direct and beautiful message. And I don't know why not everyone is lucky enough to have that all the time, but I'm just so grateful I am. I get Mm. that sometimes. I love those. I call them etheric slaps. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. That's much better than like God wink. I like etheric slaps. No, I love it. I love it. So, Martha, you've had a very adventurous life. What has been your greatest lesson learned thus far? Mm, um, that there is absolutely no way to predict what's about to happen. Um, and if you can let go of your presuppositions and trust that the world is safe enticing and alive. Actually, there's a really good new psychological study out that shows that people who have this worldview where the world is safe, enticing and alive, um, kind of have a joyride through life instead of a slog. So yeah, if you can just let go of everything, but your belief that the world is safe, enticing and alive, that's the acronym for that is S-E-A or C. then you're awash in the great sea of miracles and um, everything, everything is happening for you, not to you. Mm, I love that. And I was just having that conversation with my mother because I don't watch the news. I can't watch the news. I don't read the news. (laughs) I'm way too sensitive. I get anxious really quickly when I, when I, um, but I, I, she's having a conversation with me about what's been going on in the news, and and I and I um and it wasn't to do with the fires; it was about to do with um mobile phones in your car. And I, uh-huh. I, um, I was just in the car, and she said to me, "Turn off the car because you can't even be in the car with the phone in your hand." And I was, oh thinking, wow, yeah, which was really interesting. But we were having this conversation, and it's, and I said to obviously uh she knows i don't watch the news and i don't want to know i always say look i don't really want to know um but it's for me it's the same thing i love to live in my own little bubble i do believe (laughs) that the world is safe i do believe that the world is beautiful and um i have beautiful experiences i don't want to live my life in fear of what could happen another world war or another whatever that may be it's for me it's um exactly what you were saying but i think that 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 applies to all of us. I think we get sucked into the media, social media. I call it the black hole, yeah. the social media. Mm-hmm. That that people then live in fear. 
Yeah. And in, and the justification for that is only if we live in fear will we take action to make things better. And I would, uh, all my experience says the opposite, mm. that when you are plugged into every single catastrophe that's going on, it, it's, it, there's no way we cannot be overwhelmed. We evolved to live in groups of up to maybe 130. Those were the only people you ran into. When you're seeing everything happening to billions of people, um, it's just, it's too much. So by tuning out of that and tuning into yourself, what will happen is you'll be taken to the places where you can do the most good at the right time. So I do live, I live in a happy bubble and I've spent my entire life trying to help people. I've, I'm obsessed with person, you know, the personal heart healing of individuals with the healing of the earth, with the care and preservation of animals, with education and uh, for rural peoples, tribal peoples. I'm, and I'm deeply involved in all of those things. And I don't have to sit and stare at my phone and go into despair about everything that's going wrong. Mm, it's so beautiful. And for our listeners, I highly recommend check out Martha's website. I was just in awe the amount of books that she has written <laughs> and also the, the the work that you do, Martha, with all the interviews and all the writing and absolutely amazing. And you have this beautiful Wayfinder life coaching training, which I'd love for you to talk us through that. Yeah, um, life coaching is a term that I do not really like. I never actually heard of it. I found out I was a life coach when I was mentioned in a newspaper. <laughs> I just knew I was talking to people. Um, but for a period of my life, I was very interested in the wisdom traditions of tribal people. And um, I studied many, many cultures. And one of them were the Polynesian wayfinders who originated in your area of the world and then sailed the seas to all kinds of places and their ability to read the sea the water and the sky was it's almost superhuman as you may know and they were called wayfinders and so with great deference to that culture I thought this is a word that describes what I want to do and what the people around me want to do it's better than life coach um it's finding a way through the blooming, buzzing confusion of modern of the modern world of a time when we are at the brink of our own destruction, uh, at a time when a lot of us feel overwhelmed and where there are no really stable landmarks to go by. So I love the idea of the Polynesian wayfinders who are out there on stormy oceans, you know, in little boats, and were able to find their way to small islands in thousands of miles of trackless ocean because they were able to follow their inner compasses and tune into the world around them. So the methodology is for dealing with humans, but it actually is about following those inner compasses to one's own life purpose and then, you know, passing that forward as much as you can. Mm, I love that. And as you were speaking uh, about the wayfinders, it reminded me of a time where I was going to the big island in Hawaii um, when mm. I was studying Huna. And I remember there was a bit of a tremor and the bed literally was shaking and mm -hmm. going from side to side. And 
the people on the island were saying it's it's Pele, which is the volcano. Right. Was saying it's we 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 like her rumbling on a daily basis because when she doesn't rumble, then we know that right. if, if Pele is too quiet. So they're so connected to the land. Yeah, and so and it made me realize we are so disconnected from yeah. the land. Yeah, and um, there's sort of a I've noticed with the people who do join my training and whatever, uh, we tend to be. Uh, people born with a kind of archetype. If you think about it, every human group evolved in bands of 50 to 150, and all of them had people born into those tribes who had a uh, sort of cluster of characteristics. They were usually very sensitive. They were often sickly as kids. They became interested in healing hearts and bodies, but they were also naturalists, and they were also connected, deeply connected to animals and plants and the, and the water and the sky. And these people would be the medicine people the you know the elders would recognize oh that child is the archetype of a medicine person and they would train the kid to do whatever that tribe's medicine people did and i think that's genetic i think it exists in the common population and every single group of 50 to 150 people had several of these so they've got to be fairly common in the population and the people who join our training are folks who are born medicine people into a culture with no medicine people. Mm. And my not at all hidden agenda is to say, okay, you're a medicine person. Let's get you trained. <laughs> That's interesting because I wonder, and I know, I mean, I myself, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from my own experience. I'm ultra sensitive to all of the, everything you were saying I can relate to. And yeah. do you think that that's also the reason why there is an increase of anxiety, depression? I mean, it's one in three. Oh, yeah. It's immense. And I think – and there are other things. There are a lot of uh, tribes pay special attention to people with a brain difference like autism or epilepsy or Down syndrome um, because there are ways of seeing that are different that are very, very helpful uh, when people are mostly stuck in ego – those who have the archetype of the of the shaman or the medicine person see things differently. Uh, a couple of years ago, the New York Times published an unprecedented study that linked um, anxiety, IQ, and psychic ability. Which and it, and it was so interesting because this is a very mainstream psychological study, and they did not apologize for saying that these people had like telepathic abilities. They just said it, they're linked. These three things: IQ. Um, anxiety and telepathy. So that's one acknowledgement that the archetype of the medicine person is still alive and well. But right now, the call for things to be healed, for people to be healed, and for the earth itself and the plants and the landscape to be healed is probably louder than it's ever been. So there are probably more born medicine people hearing the call to help than ever before. And it manifests, before you know what you are and, and get trained to, to play your role, it manifests as terrible anxiety. Mm. You're here to do something and you don't know what it is, you know, and you don't know how. So that, that's, um, I've spent my whole life obsessed with that kind of stuff. And that's, I think our training is kind of a home for, for folks like me or you. Yeah, I was going to say, and me. So then let's go back to that for someone like me that lives in Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, how, and for our listeners, I'm sure they're going to reach out and want to do this course. Is this an online course? So how does this work for 
the likes of us in Australia? Yeah, it's completely virtual. I mean, I, I started doing it when I was a working mom and uh, couldn't, you know, I, I had to really budget my time. So the whole course is designed to fit around a life. I was, I had a job, I had kids and um, then I did this on the side. And so I designed it for people who have a full schedule and can't get places physically. And it sort of grew into, I've got a, a lovely little team and um, it's it's gotten to be a very efficient, very effective online training that connects um, a couple, like 150 people at a time will go through the training. It's very interactive in the sense that you connect with people often in your part of the world, it's worldwide, who are learning as well. And you you learn partly by coaching each other and by giving each other feedback. It's, it's not like school. It is, and a lot of people in it say it's magic training. and um, it is, but I also love science, and I'm not really a magical thinker. It's just that magical things happen when you start doing this. And so anybody from anywhere in the world can join in, and if you're not awake for, like, a, a class that I'm teaching online on, on audio, it's always recorded and made available. So I think we need to put out a worldwide call for healers because it's the 11th hour, like yep. it's time. It is. There is no more time left. You guys in Australia know better than anyone else in the world. It is time. Mm. We've all got to show up for this. And I think we were born to. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's uh, you know, 2020. It's not just a, a new year. It's a new decade. It's a new age. It's yep. a new everything. Mm-hmm. And it's time. It's the calling for, as you were saying. It's yeah. the rise. Yep. Yep. And I've sort of been waiting for it my whole life, as I'm sure you have. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't even surprise me now when I meet people who are who follow this pattern. I used to think, oh, my gosh, she's just like me. She has the same thoughts. She's got the same interests. Now I'm like, yeah, yeah. I call it the team. Yeah. We're here. And if the only qualification you need to be on the team is that you like the sound of being on it. So it's not like anybody's going to kick you off. But I do believe there's a, a team of people. I hope millions, maybe billions of people who have as part of their destiny, Mm. the inspiration to turn things around at a time when we've almost ruined our own ecosystem on which our own lives depend. It's a big adventure. Mm, It is, but it's a, it's a very, and like I said, a very strong calling. I'm seeing this more and more, uh, more people are coming out of the woodworks, I say. You know, a lot of the – for a long time they've keeping their – I call them their superpowers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. As a secret. You don't talk about them, but I, I do this and this is my way of living, but now it's time to put it out there and start helping others tap into their own. Yeah. I wrote a book called Finding Your Way in a Wild New World, which was all about these ancient traditions and all about – I went around – interviewing like shamans and medicine people and all over the world and um the publisher just hated it (laughs) they were like simon and schuster in new york they were like this is absolute dribble and i'm like i don't care i need to write to my people and they were like your people don't exist and i said no i really think they do and um yeah, it doesn't. That book does not appeal to everybody, but the people that it does appeal to, thank God, it actually got published. Because what I've heard most often since writing that book is that the people it was meant for just sat right down in the aisle at the bookstore and and wept to hear that 
we're, we're all in this together. You mm-hmm. aren't by yourself. You're not alone. And the feelings you're experiencing that are pushing you towards something you don't understand are real, they're valid, and they're taking you somewhere wonderful. Mm, so true. Absolutely true. So, Martha, as we start wrapping up the show, we mm-hmm. always love to ask a woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you? Oh. Sinisure. <laughs> and that is not a name that, you know, I had to, I had to go through my vocabulary pretty, pretty extensively to come up with something that, that puts it all in one. But sinisure is a word that also means the North star. It means a sure point of light that never fails and that will always guide you. Um, so my first self-help book was called finding your own North star but if you want me to sum it up in one word, the word sinister is it. And it means a sure guide in troubled times. Mm. I love that. That's beautiful. And so I guess finding your North Star links into what you were saying, that it's within us. And so when yeah. we remove those obstacles, it will be very clear on our, you know, our path or our direction. Yeah. It, the, the path rises up to meet you and then – miracles come to validate and attend you and um the joy uh most people who who follow this archetype have really difficult early lives and often very difficult adult lives but when you find that path and you begin to follow it and you stop believing the things culture has taught you about what's not possible or what is possible and you you start to follow that sinister inside you the um the joy of being human um, finally comes and finds you. And I, I really want that for everyone. Mm, heaven on earth. Yeah. Mm. And the other thing that we love to do is uh, wrap up our show with three shiny gold nuggets. So, Martha, what are your three <laughs> shiny gold nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today? Well, I, I wrote some up beforehand, um, but before I say them, my – quick answer is what I tell myself every day before I meditate, sit down, sit down, shut up and watch. (laughs) (laughs) So that would be the golden nugget that I really use. But the the things I wrote was, you know, the most important thing you can do to change your entire world is simply to become the compassionate observer of your own inner life. And it will take you everywhere you want to go. That's the first thing. Become the compassionate observer of your own self your own inner life the second thing is don't think there's anything lacking in you you are complete and entirely ready for your purpose in life you just need to drop things that are in the way so and and you can recognize those things because they cause suffering and they're always going to be based on thoughts and if you find them and drop them you'll you'll find out you were perfect all along and then finally uh, pursuing the things that Nate, that culture wants for you, status, wealth, and power, is the way to suffering. And pursuing the things that nature, not culture, but nature wants for you, which are presence, truth, and love, that is how to be happy and save the world. <laughs> oh, 
I'm just writing all of these down. They're beautiful. I love all three of them. Martha, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Um, my website, MarthaBeck.com. And, um, you know, I've got coaches all over the world. And if you run into one, maybe you'll strike up a friendship. And um, what I like to say, uh, the motto of the team is we have no idea what we're doing, but we move at dawn. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. And so you're you're about to start a new cohort, is that correct, with your Wayfinder yeah. life coaching training? Yeah, we're just signing up a cohort for for spring 2020. So we have a it'll be open for a couple of weeks. So jump on in if you're interested. Yep. And the other thing, it's an eight month course. Is that right? Or program? Yes. It's um, meant to fit in with your life. It's meant to be easy. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to give you back to yourself and make you happy. So it is not an overnight experience and we like to coddle you as much as possible. Mm. So we'll have that in the show notes. Martha, I can't thank you enough for your time, your energy and sharing your wealth of wisdom. It's been such a joy and a pleasure to have you on the show. Same to you. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and just know that there are a lot of people over on this side of the world whose hearts are on and with Australia right now. Mm, thank you so very much. Really, really appreciate your time and energy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. Or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you, so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit the subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do... Please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at castronplanner.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Plano. That's it for now. Until next week, wishing you a fabulous day.